Let's try that again. <coughs> so, session name is SID405. <laughs> My name is Henrik Johansson. Uh, I'm a principal solution architect and content PM for um, AWS security and compliance. Um, so as I said, today we're gonna to talk a little bit about secure automation, um, how you can use certain tools to set up simple remediation function, how you can use serverless infrastructure to automate a lot of the things that you either do manually today or that you probably or might not do at all. So we're gonna go through different scenarios. Uh, we're gonna do a little bit of primer, um, talk about why we wanna do secure automation, uh, a little bit about what, uh, guardrails, and then we're gonna go into the code. Um, if you do not like code, if you do not like Python, and if you think Python is a snake, um, you have an opportunity to leave, no one's gonna be mad except you if you don't leave. So, and we have a couple of takeaways. First off, all the demos here will be available as open source. Um, gonna be released under one of these two GitHub repos. The, we already have a couple of examples there, um, but Check out later, uh, I'll try and get them out as soon as possible. Um, so, why do we wanna do secure automation? Well, reliability. We wanna reduce the risk of making mistakes. We wanna make sure that everything runs as it should every time. Humans make mistakes, there's nothing strange about that. Um, it could be anything from clicking the wrong button or just typing in the wrong answer or simply not noticing things. <clears throat> We also want to avoid giving humans too much access. If there is something that we can remediate using automation, that means that we don't need a human to touch any of that data. We can simply extract the human from the, the, the calculation and have something do that much faster, uh, much more reliable and consistent. So also efficiency. We have multiple accounts. How many people in here have multiple accounts that they run? Pretty much everyone. A couple of them don't. And if you're gonna do this manually across multiple accounts, you need to track all the information, but you also need to keep credentials around, you need to log on to all the different accounts. Even if you do that using command line, it's still a tedious task that has a higher error rate. Scalability. All your customers or all your users are gonna use all the different automation tools that are available through AWS. Um, they get access to auto-scaling groups, they get access to auto-scaling features, they can say that they have infinite scale, infinite amount of changes. You have to do that too. If you don't scale with your business units, they will outrun you. Or you're gonna become the breaking point and you don't wanna be the blocker. As an example, try putting yourself in this situation. You're gonna try and click the same icon a thousand times at 3 a.m. on a Monday. And now ask yourself, during those thousand times, when did the icon change? And now you do it on Tuesday again. This is an extremely tedious task. It has a high error rate because you don't know when that icon changed. You don't know if you actually clicked 1,000 times or 999 times. And you most likely don't want to do it on Tuesday again. We can also tie secure automation to other functions, like for example, compliance. A um, Couple of key, uh, key items here though is that when we do secure automation around compliance, for example, we wanna retrieve um, information automatically, always focus on the evidence. 
Don't focus on the controls. Focus on the evidence. What is it that we want to extract? Because you're most likely going to have multiple different types of uh, frameworks you're going to follow, multiple regulations. And you want to say, instead of saying, I want to satisfy control 3.4, you want to say that I want to discover whether or not, what my password policy is. Because that password policy can be used for 3.4, it can be used for another framework and another framework. But once you have that password policy, you can use it multiple times in many frameworks, and you don't have to um, run everything multiple times. It's a good way to save resources, um, good way to save space in your code repo, uh, but also run everything more efficiently and lean. Also, once you've done that, like I said, map it to specific controls. Map it to multiple controls and frameworks. Um, a lot of these frameworks have the same controls. Uh, that's why focus on the evidence, not on the control. Uh, also, when you do uh, reporting on the different frameworks, uh, don't just focus on the what. Don't just focus on, here's my password policy. You also need to report why and how. This is especially uh, important for auditors. They want to see, how did you satisfy this control? How did you get the information that says that you have this password policy? So always when you work with uh, any material that's going to go out to regulators, audit auditors, whatever it could be, um, always include how you satisfy the control as well. Um, also enable your compliance team. They are actually your friends. Um, let them have access to the tools. If you build a secure automation that is used for compliance reporting, give them access to it because it's just reporting information. They're not changing anything. They're just extracting information from the account that you have. And there's a number of other things that you also get. You get detection, you get alerting, remediation, countermeasures, forensics. You can implement whatever you want in these steps into your uh, secure automation scripts. Uh, if you don't want any of them, you don't have to. <clears throat> but always look at how can you make this better so instead of just enabling something, what else can you do out of these things? Can you detect something else? It might be part of a larger attack. So when you do testing um, and test these kind of incident uh, response scenarios, um, it's always good to test and make sure that they actually do what they do. Um, generate the issue. That's the best way of testing. Um, you can do it in theory as much as you want to, but unless you actually tested it in real life or tested it against something, you're never going to know if it actually works. Um, of course, use test accounts. Don't test this in production. Not a good idea. Um, try different scenarios, sources, account types. The reason for that is that information looks differently depending on where it comes from. So if you, for example, get a JSON input where you're trying to extract username, that username field is going to look different if you're using an IM user or a federated user. So always test with different scenarios based on what it is that you're testing. Um, and it might not always be practical to generate the issue. Uh, a, you might not want to touch the real data. Um, you can't generate something automatically, or you can't generate something manually. Other ways to do, you can do this are actually CloudWatch event samples, if you're using CloudWatch events. Um, we actually have a website that lists a ton of different event samples for the different services. So if you want to test something that is generated by S3, we have a sample event for S3 that you can just use and inject into your Lambda function. And this is the same for all the services. Um, then just use a Lambda test event. In the Lambda test event, you just enter all the JSON information that you have. And you can take the JSON information that we provide as a test event and just modify it to your use case. If you want to test against an S3 bucket that you own, simply change the name of in the sample event to your S3 bucket. <coughs> and again, use the samples that we have available. Another primary that we want to talk about is guardrails. Um, 
we definitely want to avoid making the attacker's job easier. And we can do that by not having guardrails. We just do it faster than the attacker, probably. What we mean with guardrails is that, let's say you have a scenario where someone is trying to attack a server, and you automatically isolate that server on the network. You apply a, a deny um, security group and deny um, uh, ACL, and completely isolate them on the network, rip it out of an auto-scaling group. That's good. That server can't go anywhere. And it's not been touched on the server. You can do forensics and everything. The problem is that what happens if either there's a wrong in the script or if that attacker starts jumping to all your servers. It's really easy and fast to nuke yourself. So make sure that you have guardrails. So for example, if, if one server gets ripped out, never take out more than X percent of the servers as long as you can handle that. Or if you start disabling IM users, make sure you're not disabling yourself as well. So implement the guardrails where you need to to prevent the nuke yourself. Framework. Um, if you ever heard my talk before, <clears throat> or any of my talks, I always talk about frameworks. Um, there's a reason for that. Don't just fix and forget. Um, a good example is I have a, a demo out there for CloudTrail. If someone disables CloudTrail, enable it again. Awesome. Super easy, super fast. It's one single API or command line. The problem is that if you just enable CloudTrail after someone disables it, you have no idea what happened. Um, my, I used to compare it with you have a break-in in your house during the night, and you go down and lock the door and go back to bed. You have no idea that he's actually sitting there eating your breakfast cereal at the table with your keys in a hand. You've got to do your forensics. You've got to do um, investigation to see what happened, who was it, how do I prevent it again? Does he have the keys? Do I need to disable those keys? Do I need to create new keys? Do I need to alert someone else? Always, always have a multi-step remediation process. Don't just enable and disable. Um, standardization matters. Follow the same principle as much as you can and as often as you can. It's really easy to create a ton of different scripts, ton of different uh, features, and then when you try to troubleshoot them, you have no idea what to go to. Try and follow the same standard. Um, if you can, use managed services and or machine learning or AI where possible. Um, if you haven't gone by um, the Macy booth to talk to the, the Macy team, do that. Um, instead of you trying to find certain data, so instead of you trying to rummage through all your um, S3 data to find personal data, use the managed services that are specified to do that. Same thing with uh, investigating um, cloud trail logs. We have a ton of services and partners out there that can do this. Um, we just released um, Garduti. Check it out. They can uh, go through the cloud trail data, same thing with Macy, and trigger these kind of alerts automatically. Um, and then limits and alerts are good together. And what we mean by that is that if you hit any kind of service limit or if you hit uh, a certain threshold on your remediation, make sure you alert all the time. And you should always be alerting. Um, even if it is a simple thing like enabling CloudTrail, um, if you enable CloudTrail a thousand times and you don't know about it, you have a problem. And what, what do we mean with frameworks? I mean, this is just an example of how to create a remediation framework. We have our different sections. So we have our initiation section, React. How do we react to the event? Is it CloudWatch events, config rule, Macy, guard duty, whatever that server can be, log parsing. It could be something you've written yourself. Um, how do you react to it? Second thing, trigger. How do you trigger an event? What is it that you want to trigger? Um, how do you learn from what happened? If you ran a, a secure automation on something, how do you take whatever information you got from that automation feature 
and put it back in the, the chain. So if it happens again, you know that it's happened again. You know that it's happened before, and you know that that user did it again. And it could be some simple thing as, he just doesn't know what to do. But that doesn't mean that it should be OK. If you have to disable that user because he doesn't know what to do, that's better than him making everything public. Um, and then we'll go into the actual ex execution of the scripts. We have multiple steps there as well. We have, for example, our priority action. What's the most important thing that we need to do? What is the first thing we need to do whenever something happens? This could be a restart a server, a service, like in CloudTrail case. First thing you want to do when you uh, work on uh, disable CloudTrail, enable CloudTrail, because you want that trace. Now, we do have Cloud, CloudTrail always on by default if you go to the region, but you want to have that centralized CloudTrail logging as well. Um, forensics, has this happened before? Who was involved? Is it the same person? Um, this can also be based on the last event, which is logging. So if this has happened before, you can use that in your script to see, has the user disabled CloudTrail before by mistake or maliciously? Countermeasures, and we're going to talk about countermeasures in the demos later. Um, what can you do when, you find, uh, when something happens? Like, for example, disabling access keys, a very easy and effective way of preventing someone from doing something again. Could also be isolating the instance, so on. Alerting. Uh, this is also actually a couple of the demos today. How do we alert users that something is happening? How do we alert our teams? What is the preferred way? Um, how many people in here are using some sort of chat function for your operational team or your security team, like Slack, uh, Chime? Decent amount, yeah. Um, how many people use that during active ongoing investigations, like if you have a red team event or something like that? Couple, cool. Um, there's a ton of stuff that you can do with alerting. Very easy using, for example, webhooks, using email integration. You can set it up into a um, remedy system by sending an email. You can send it to a, a HTTP endpoint using Lambda function. So it's very easy to tie into uh, tie the Lambda function and remediation function directly into your alerting and remediation or tracking systems. You can even do it directly from CloudWatch events. And finally, logging. Um, if you have a central system, like a ticket system, whatever, use it. Integrate with them as well. Same thing with alerting as it is with logging. Or simply create your own login database. Um, it's not, it doesn't hurt to have a login database for the actual remediation features as well. That helps, actually, when you're trying to create and run the countermeasures, and also when you're trying uh, the forensics pieces, just to have a simple Dynamo table where you don't need to store everything, you just need to store the core information. Like, for example, what users have done this before? And when did they do it? Okay, let's go into some code. Um, first off, since it actually is th uh, Thursday, quick throwback Thursday. Um, the old repos I mentioned there, we have a couple of scripts that we talked about last year. Um, Quick update on some of them. There are more key. Uh, the CS benchmark, we have a bunch of bug fixes. Uh, one that I definitely want to mention is we have an auto MFA script in there, um, which is basically anytime you add an uh, IM user to your account, it's going to automatically create a virtual MFA token and assign to the user. Um, we recently added an update to that, so we also have a self-service feature for that now. So when the user gets the MFA token assigned to them, they can actually go in and re uh, request the string themselves so they don't even need to call the help desk. There is no human involvement whatsoever besides them requesting their own um, uh, C token for uh, a virtual MFA. So 
if you're interested in that, take a look at that script. It's kind of cool. Um, we also have a bunch of new features coming out for some of the scripts there. So um, I would add a watch if you can. If you're using GitHub often, um, just put in a watch um, to see what happens on that repo. So a couple of demos. So the first one we're going to talk about and show a little bit about is serverless secure automation without the code. What can we do without coding? So in this case, the problem is that we need to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we need to be able to initiate a chain of events when an activity happens that is very sensitive to us uh, and when it is detected. So how do we alert, for example, multiple teams as quickly as possible? How do we take multiple actions without having to build and maintain a state and task system? Fairly common questions we get from customers, or I get at least. Um, how do we create something without having to build all the code around it? So, there is no code. Hmm. <laughs> I want to be super clear. Security automation is not the same as Python, Node, Java, whatever hip name came out last week. It's all about the process and the mentality. So one thing that I definitely want to see is how many people have used CloudWatch events for more than just triggering a Python script? Couple. So with uh, CloudWatch events, you can get a lot more. So it is driven by API activity, as an example. Um, it does only, and this is important to know, uh, it captures read and write events. Uh, so it doesn't capture certain, uh, sorry, it captures uh, write events and some read events. So it doesn't capture, for example, the list events, the get events, describe events. Uh, but it does capture anything that will change anything um, and all the update scripts and anything that has a significant danger. Yes, there will be risk with, for example, list events uh, because they also are hints of something going on. This is where other services come in like GuardDuty, um, like Macy, to detect user sort of bad user behavior over time. Um, the thing here, though, is that it does support a large amount of features. So this is the current list of supported services that you can ingest data from into CloudShell. Essentially, anything that's supported by CloudShell is supported by CloudWatch events. And that means that anytime you do anything in these services, you can put that into Cloud, uh, CloudWatch events. Also important to know is that it's not just APIs. So for example, if you start an EC2 instance, or if you take a snapshot of an EBS volume, you don't have to write any code or anything like that. It's predefined as an input event. So anytime that happens, you can trigger off your uh, chain of events. Um, you can also say that anytime I do a state change on ECS, um, or uh, an instance launch on ter uh, instance termination, you can automatically just select those events and don't have to write anything. There are a couple of uh, things to know when it comes to uh, event patterns. Um, if you have event patterns, they have to contain all the fields listed in the pattern. So if you add something that you want to look for, and you add multiple event patterns in there, all of them has to match the real event. So you can't add a bunch of different types of event into the same CloudWatch event and think that it's going to match one of them. There is an exception. We're going to talk about that. But all of them have to match. Also, they have to match exactly. It's case by case. Um, there's no normalization, so it's, uh, you can't use uh, uppercase, lowercase, as you wish. It has to be exact. Um, it follows the JSON strings uh, or JSON rules when it comes to quotes, numbers, et cetera. 
and numbers are exact numbers as well. So it's 300, 300.0, and 302 is not the same thing. It is exact string matching. But it allows us to write our own custom ruling of what we want to capture. So for example, I want to capture anything that is a state change in EC2. So anytime something goes into pending mode, I want to trigger off an alert. And this is just a simple one. We can also say that pending, but we can also say that anything that happens with these resources should trigger off an alert, because they might be a secret server that you have. So anytime someone does anything with them, you want to know about it. And in this case, you can actually use an OR statement. So if you have, for example, multiple resources, one of the resources needs to match. It doesn't have to match all of them. The only time is that you cannot have multiple um, main topics, but you can have multiple resource events. You can also say that any time an API call happens by this specific user, I want to trigger off an event. And we actually have a use case later on. So you can be very specific. So you don't have to say any time an API, uh, API event happens. And the reason for that is that that's going to happen a lot. Everything you do in AWS is going to be an API event. So you really don't want to say that any time an API event happens, shoot off some Lambda functions. That's going to be a little bit of a waste of resources. You can also have multiple targets. And this is where some of the power comes in. So if you do want to shoot off a Lambda script or a any kind of Lambda script, Python node, whatever it is, you can easily do that. And you can shoot off two Lambda scripts. So for example, when you're testing out something, OK, add your dump event that will just dump the full event because you want to see what else comes out of there, but also run your actual script on it. Um, you can also say, I want to send this data to an SNS topic, or I want to send it to a Kinesis stream, or specific Lambda. Um, you have a lot of different things here. Uh, one of the cool things is that you can also send directly to SSM automation. So for example, if something happens in EC2 instance, kick off an SSM event to do, or rather, if inspector discovers that you have, um, you fail your inspector report and get, um, um, you find uh, patches missing or bugs, kick off an SSM event and automatically patch that instance. And you don't have to write any kind of state management or anything. You can just use it uh, straight through CloudWatch events. And again, multiple events. You can also choose what you want to send there. So you can say, send the whole event that comes in, or you can just extract certain information that you want. So how can we use this in our other scripts? First, what we want to see is live user activity tracking for IR scenarios. So the problem statement is that when we have either a red team event or a real IR scenario, we need to know what that suspected user is doing in near real time. And this is so we can follow a response playbook about when to disable a user with minimal risk to security and availability for a server. So we basically want to see what is the dude doing when something goes bad. And we can do that trigger for, for example, Macy finds a, a bad actor or a suspected bad actor, or it could be CloudTrail, uh, sorry, uh, GuardDuty finds something that is suspicious, or it could just be that you start seeing weird things in your log and you want to know, okay, what is happening here actually? And you find that bad user. So you want to track everything it does, but you don't want to wait for CloudTrail to get delivered to your um, S3 bucket. Um, <clears throat> so how can we track what's going on as close to real time as possible, and how can we integrate with our existing tools? So I mentioned earlier who's using Slack, for example. How can we integrate with Slack what's happening? Um, highlight, always use uh, approved communication channel for sensitive content. Don't send 
sensitive information to open communication channel, whatever it is. Make sure it's uh, encrypted, make sure it's secured, approved by your security team. So let's see if we can do a demo. So we have Evil Bob. If Bob is here, I hope it's not Evil Bob. So we shall see if our script is actually working. Or if we have a bug in it. So in this case, the only thing we're doing is that we're trying to run a create user. So let's do that this way as well. Um, we want to create a user that's called, oops, test2. And in this case, we already have this user. And what's going on in the background is that we're actually tracking everything that is happening with that specific user. And we'll see if that actually works now. My network is acting up a little bit. This is the joy of live demos. Oops. So this is my Slack channel. And suddenly, everything that that user ran popped up in the Slack channel. So this script is actually not doing anything except it's tracking user information and then pushing it straight out to a Slack channel. And the reason for that is that we want to see, for example, in this case, we can see that user activity tracker alert. It's by our specific IR user. And we can see that it has, um, we can see the username it has, which principal um, ID it is, access key. These are, of course, all demo keys. Um, what type of user it is. We can see that it's the reInvent user tracker, what account it is. Uh, here comes the important thing is that we can see that it actually had a specific source IP. Uh, we can see where it's from. We can see what it's trying to run. So in this case, we saw that it's trying to run the API create user. And we saw that it's trying to run um, create a user called test2. Now this is super easy and uh, normally we have a, oops, we actually had, that's why it was running, I just didn't see it. We can also send that to Chime. So we can send it to any kind of channel that we have approved in our system. And if we're following these, it's very easy to see that if this user suddenly starts creating other users, it starts to create other uh, access keys. We can see that, and we can add those new users. So now we saw that he created test2. We can take that user and start a separate tracker or just add to the same tracker. And the reason for this is that we don't want to go in and just disable the user. We want to see what's going on. So now we have a near real-time tracker of anything that is a change update event for anything going on in the AWS account that we choose to. And this is a very simple script. All it does is actually 
Oops. Actually, let's change to this one. It's a simple script that just takes a number of webhooks from the different systems. So for example, if you use Slack, Slack has an easy way to create a Slack app where you can choose to enable a webhook, which is essentially a pre-specified HTTP URL, HTTPS URL, that you can use in your Lambda functions to just post a message, which is a JSON message. And you can populate that JSON message with whatever you want, and that's automatically going to be populated to the Slack channel. And we can actually use exactly the same for Chime, no matter what the tool is. You can use a webhook for um, Remedy if you want to create a ticket for it. Whatever it is that you want to create, you can just use easy uh, HTTP requests to reach out to the different system. When we create these functions, though, we have a couple of options we want to do. So in this case, um, the script that is available, uh, it asks us, do we want to use Chime? OK, we want to use Chime. OK, what's the webhook parameter for Chime? Do we want to use Slack? What's the Slack webhook pr parameter? Do we want to use SNS for alerts? And we can send emails with all the information. So anything that you want to ask, create a, when you create a script, that's what I meant with use a framework. Set up everything as options in that framework. Take control of what is the input, what is the output that you want to do. We can add a feature, for example, for whitelisting. The reason for that is that some accounts might be, if you use this for an automatic discovery feature like Macy or Guard, uh, GuardDuty, we might want to have a whitelisting function. So we can say that I want to track everything, but if it's these accounts, because these are our CICD pipeline accounts or whatever it is, we know that they're noisy accounts. They're just going to create a bunch of unnecessary um, drift on, on the alerting system. So we want to uh, whitelist them. This is super easy to add as, as um, parameters in your script, so you can add a whitelist feature. I would say, though, that be very careful when you add whitelists. This is a reverse guardrail, um, because what if someone does take over your account? What if someone does use the CICD account? Um, but we can add simple um, users here. We can also add them as parameters um, to the actual Lambda function, so it's very easy to change and update when you have new users. So another piece that we want to highlight in the script is that make sure you extract the information that you need. So I mentioned earlier that all the different input events have different information. So in this case, for example, it might contain an error code, and it might contain an error message. And the reason for that is that if the user is running something, it might contain, uh, he might not have been successful in running it. So if it was unsuccessful, the error message will actually be posted in a different way than it would if it was successful, because there weren't any error messages then. So you have to add features where you say, if this exists, then you add it. If not, ignore it or set as a default value. But make sure that you have proper error handling for every information that you uh, collect in it. A couple of other items, capture critical information. If this is a root user, you might want to have a different alert system so for example, you can have a script that runs that any time a root user is being used to run commands, shoot off information to your Slack channel and say that someone is doing something. Um, and the reason for that is that certain accounts are very sensitive. It also is because in some cases, if you implement remediation uh, features and countermeasures, um, you can't implement the same remediation for all the accounts. So for example, you might not be able to implement a deny policy on a root account. So, if it's whitelisted, do this. If it's a root account, make sure you have a different process for it. Also, don't overdo it. I said earlier that um, always make sure you have your countermeasures. In this case, for example, we have our standard. We have a priority. We have alerting, forensics, and logging. But in this case, 
the actual priority is the alert and it is the forensics and it is the logging because it's basically sending messages to a Slack channel. But the fact that it's doing that continuously means that we don't have to do all the other steps on it. So don't overdo what you're trying to do. Also one important thing is that in case you want to, in some cases when you implement remediation, even if it is a whitelisted account, you might want to alert on it. You might not want to do a disable on it, but you, might want to, you still want to alert on it. And adapt the data. So this is basically the message function. So for example, if it is a root account, we want to add additional information and say that this is root account, high alert, DEFCON 5. Um, if um, you have multiple, um, uh, multiple information in, for example, the, the API server running, we want to have different information going in. So adapt all the time to what it is that you're actually measuring and send the correct message for it. One item especially here is that don't store, actually two items here. One is minimize the amount of external libraries you have to use. Um, so for example, if you're writing in Python, there's an awesome uh, module when you're trying to reach out to external systems um, called requests. Uh, when you want to do HTTPS requests, uh, it's really easy to use. The problem is that it requires an external module. Um, in this case, you can just use URL-lib too, uh, which is a much more easier, it's included already, you don't have to install extra modules, so when you want to deploy the script, you simply deploy the actual script without having to package it up first. So always trying to make it as easy to use as possible and easy to distribute. Second thing here, I think it's for me, um, the second thing here, like I said, um, don't store anything locally. So in this case, we have to use the webhook parameter we love Parameter Store. How many people have looked at Parameter Store? Couple, awesome. So if you want to store sensitive information like a webhook URL, because you don't want to share that URL with everyone, use an external source where you can store it securely. So Parameter Store is a feature under um, uh, EC2 because it's part of the SSM family, but it's a way to store configuration information uh, where you can choose to store it encrypted. You can use KMS to encrypt the actual value and then give the uh, KMS key to the Lambda function. You can also use IAM integration. So that when the Lambda function is the only one that can read the webhook. Um, and you can use uh, custom KMS or just use the, the default one. But don't store it in the script. Look at parameter store. It's absolutely amazing for secure automation. And this is how you trigger it. So I mentioned earlier, um, the, this is exactly the same as you saw earlier. It's basically a CloudWatch event where we just say user identity has to be, in this case, reinvent user tracking. Um, key item here, case sensitive. Um, I did the same mistake myself. Um, troubleshoot it for half an hour until I realized that I had a large case on one of the letters. And then our alerts. Send one alert to send multiple alerts. Here you have the Slack channel, we have a chime message, and we have an SNS topic that is being sent as an email. You can set up whatever type of alerting you want. The third one we want to see is exposed keys remediation using trusted advisor. So, how many people have exposed their keys on? Uh, um, exposed keys is a, is a huge security risk. Putting it on GitHub, uh, you can guarantee that someone else has picked it up before you have. Um, they are being monitored continuously. They are also being monitored by us. Uh, previously, you might have seen that we sent email if you found your, found your keys on GitHub. Uh, we actually have integrated that with Trusted Advisor. Uh, Trusted Advisor is available for people with business support or enterprise support, um, so you will need business or enterprise support, but it is a really effective tool for using something like this. And Trusted Advisor is fully integrated with CloudWatch events. 
So how do we detect and handle exposed keys? How do we prevent interference with our CICD pipeline? How do we ensure the right keys are notified? More or less the same as previously, but with the addition that now it's really sensitive because now we don't have a suspected user, we actually have an exposed user. Couple of items, shared responsibility in you. Um, tools like Trusted Advisor is a lot of extra text, reference to your website that describes reliability. TLDR, you need to secure the resources. Just because we will send you notification that your keys are exposed does not mean that we have ownership of, uh, secure and expo uh, of handling that. You are responsible for your keys. We do not guarantee that we will detect your keys on GitHub or other uh, version control sources. You need to make sure you cover that yourself. So quick demo. And to be clear, I will not publish my keys on GitHub. I was considering it, but advised not to. So the way we're going to do this essentially is that we're going to create an access key. We're going to simulate exposure using Trusted Advisor. The way we simulate exposure is that I have the exact error message. We actually do have that on the website. So I mentioned earlier we have the uh, site with all the sample events. So this is actually posted as a sample event with the, uh, the, um, the information from Trusted Advisor when you expose your keys. So in this case, it's fairly easy. We're going to create access keys. Um, they're, uh, they are now active. And so in this case, I walk through it simple. We create our access keys, the new ones. Um, we then fire off the Lambda event using the simulated information, basically exactly the same information that you will get from Trusted Advisor. And right after that, our keys are now inactive and we're sad because we can no longer use them. Super easy demo, not that exciting. The cool part is, what can you do with it? So if you look at the actual code here, we still have our whitelisting features. Um, I would highly advise against using whitelisting feature on exposed keys. Um, even though it might be your CI CD pipeline, it still has high, <laughs> high risk of, uh, well, if I say it like this, you have to weigh which is best your CI/CD pipeline stopped working, or your keys are on the internet. Evil Bob will be pick, uh, quick on picking them up. Um, this script actually has a number of different features that you can do because there's different scenarios. So for example, do we want to block the user or do we just want to disable the keys? Block the user means that we want to block everything that user can do just to be extra sure that that user hasn't done anything. Um, do you want to delete the keys or just in, uh, make them inactive? The really important thing to note here is that if you, when we find keys on GitHub, we will actually implement a couple of security features on your account. So once someone has their um, access keys exposed on GitHub, we actually will prevent you from creating new EC2 instances. And this is just to protect yourself, so no one will take those keys and spin off 10, 20, 10 Excel servers to do some Bitcoin mining. Uh, it is not financially sound to do. So, the only way you can lift that block is to delete the access key that was exposed. Once you delete that, it will automatically be revoked and you can start creating EC2 instances again. Making them inactive does not constitute deleting them and the block will still be in place. But in case you want to make them inactive, you can do that as a choice. Um, we also have a choice here. Do you want to deny, for example, temporary credentials? Why do you want to do that? Well, if I find keys, the first thing I'm going to do is create a bunch of different temporary credentials that I can use instead of my actual keys. Because now, even though this key might not have access to anything else, I can create shadow copies uh, of temporary credentials, and you might not track those in your logging. So 
You might want to create, uh, so this has actually a feature, the script, to disable temporary keys as well. So if um, you enable that, it's just going to implement a block policy for that, but it's not going to affect anything else on the account. Uh, one really important thing here is that, do you want to remediate suspected level? So exposed keys have multiple levels. One is, um, I can't remember what it is exactly, but confirmed. So basically it's either we've seen the keys out there, we've seen usage of the keys, or we've seen the keys out there, but we haven't seen anyone use them yet. And the third one is that we haven't seen the keys on GitHub, but we've seen unusual suspected behavior that we think that they have been exposed. So this is a suspected level. Um, this doesn't mean that the keys are exposed on a version control, but it's just that the behavior around them reminds of that. So we have a feature, I have a feature in the script here that says, um, do you want to remediate the suspected level as well? And these are the types of choices you have to do when you create these kind of scripts, because they are the guardrails as well. I can't tell you how many times a suspected level will happen versus a real confirmed case, but what if it does? Um, and then whether or not you want to store historical data for forensics. The cool thing about trusted advisories as well is that when you get these kind of alerts, you actually get a case ID with it. And that goes into the alert that comes in there, and you can actually use that case ID on the, um, uh, the dashboard for uh, your AWS console. So you actually get, so if you have exposed keys, you can call support and refer to that case ID, and you have a, a much faster process of it. Um, and then the same thing as usual, what kind of information we want. We have still our, is this root? Because root can also create access keys, and separate access keys. So if this is root, DEFCON 5. Um, the important thing here is that if it is root, oh, actually, don't, don't store sensitive data in code. Um, remember to check the important inf info, because if this is root, we can't implement uh, user deny. So we can't put a complete user deny on the root account. So that's why we have to adapt our script and adapt our process. Because the second thing is that if you don't have proper failure, uh, error handling, your script might fail, and then suddenly you have a lot of failure running. But the keys are still out there. Um, and then, very simple forensics example in this case, uh, previous leak. It was simply that we found these keys before, and they're out in the wild now. Um, and as I said, don't forget the temporary credentials. If you have a temporary credential deny policy, basically you said yes on that one, we can say that, okay, add a policy saying that any temporary credential that was issued before right now is going to be denied. It's a super simple case of just deny everything that you created. Temporary credentials are most cases where they're used in production. You will simply create new ones. But any temporary credential that was created by a malicious actor, we want to make sure we disable everything. And as I said, simple logging. Uh, in this case, we expose like username, event time, expose key, whatever it could be that we want to capture, put it in a Dynamo table. And this is what we use to see, has these keys been exposed before? Why do we want to see something like that? Well, if it's a simple user, a simple user, but if it's a user that, that exposed the keys, and this is the second time this happens, you might want to have a little sidebar with that user. So it's important to know if something has a repeated event or if it's a first time offense. And same as before, send it directly to our users and make sure in this case we have a different kind of message because it's a key that is exposed. So I would highly advise on creating multiple webhooks so you have a webhook that represents what it is that you're trying to do. That way it's easier to see in the alert directly what it is that happened. 
The next case and the next demo is going to be released is auto-remediate uh, world-accessible S3 buckets using Macy. So how many people have accidentally opened an S3 bucket for the world? How many people did not tell their boss that they accidentally opened an S3 bucket? Um, problem statement is very easy. Admins with high enough AWS IAM permissions can accidentally open up an S3 bucket. It happens. Um, how do, but the thing is always that how do we do, still allow public buckets for non-sensitive data? We actually have a lot of buckets out there that should be open because they're used for web services. They're used for uh, download areas for users. There, there's, uh, publicly open buckets is not wrong. Publicly open buckets with PII is wrong. But there's a great distinction there. So how do we automatically remediate that when it's sensitive or regulated data? Or how do we ensure that the right teams get notified? Well, so when you work with multiple systems, you have to also work with multiple statements. So for example, in this case, identifying classify might not be suitable for your secure automation, but it's an awesome feature from Macy. Macy has the functionality of automatically find PI buckets with PII data and that is open to the world. You can set up these queries to automatically kick off an alert when that is discovered and send that alert directly to a Lambda function, or rather, send that to CloudWatch events, and CloudWatch events will actually trigger off a Lambda function with the full information from the Macy bucket, or Macy event. And that's gonna include, for example, risk level, which individual files it found, um, what, uh, what type of data, so is this PII, uh, it's gonna say this is, we found two Amex cards in one text file hidden within the depth of whatever. But if this bucket happened to be world-readable, so now those two files are also world-readable. And then use Lambda to actually evaluate and fix the things. There's other methods that you can do this with. You don't have to use Macy. You can set up, for example, a config rule that will simply run through all your buckets to look for these events. Um, I can't tell you if it's easier, but uh, you can also say that we don't want to have any bucket. Doesn't matter. We don't what it is. We don't want to have any buckets in this account to be world-readable. Then you can just run it in config rule because it doesn't matter if it's PII or if it's your cat photos. Just disable anything that is world readable. We can run it in CloudWatch events using a timestamp um, time instead of a event based as well. But the key is you don't get the data classification integration. So, let's see here. And just an example on the, uh, the previous one where. Um, we had uh, exposed keys, is that you can see that there's different automations, <clears throat> oh, sorry, different message types. We don't have all the API that was um, happening, but we do see that we have a information saying that the automatic action taken on the actual uh, access keys were we just inactivated the keys. So when you send the alert, and this is from the previous demo, when you send these kind of alerts, also include the action taken. So just don't send, hey, we found access keys and freak everyone out, say also that we also inactivated them or we deleted the active keys and they have a little less freak out. So, oh, sorry, yeah, this one we're actually gonna run manually. So I mentioned earlier that we have multiple ways of triggering these and I wanted to actually show you how to run it manually. So this is the Lambda console. Um, this is the new Lambda console. If you haven't gone into Lambda today, take a look at it. <laughs> Guess what? It was a surprise to me as well. <laughs> um, 
So in Lambda, you can actually configure test events. And here you can add all the information that you get um, from the actual event. And you can see that we have, for example, in my bucket we have two text files. So this is actually a real event from when I um, simulated the event using Macy. Um, so you can just create whatever you want and to add it as a test event. We also have our buckets where we see permissions. We have, this is a real bucket, uh, it's a demo bucket. It has public access, yes, for list and read. And in this case, this, uh, we're just gonna fire off the actual Macy event, and this is the actual Macy alert that is taken from a real case. Um, it went green, which is always good when you're standing in front of people. Um, so in this case, it sends alert to Chime, and it sends alert to Slack. Same thing as always. And when I refresh my page, it's no longer public. This is actually how easy it is. The thing that you need to remember, though, is that in this case, there's two, th uh, two ways that you can actually make a bucket public. You can do it on the uh, ACL, or you can do it in a policy. So in this case, it didn't remove this piece just because it was a deny policy. But what if we change this to allow instead? And now suddenly we have a public bucket policy. So when you do these kind of uh, config rules and config events, make sure you look at multiple places because there are multiple ways of making something bad. Um, that said, you can simply run the same script again, which would have happened um, upon detection, and it's gonna clean up everything. So if both of them have been active immediately, it would have cleaned up both. And if you also saw that we had a big yellow spot saying public, this is also a new feature we have in S3. So if you do make a, pub, a bucket public by accident, it's quite hard to say that I did not notice. Um, the S3 console will actually show you all the buckets that are public with a big yellow icon saying public. Um, that was the clearest one we could find. <clears throat> and uh, same thing as before, oops. We have our alerting. The key here on the open bucket alert is that we found a, um, a bucket that was public. Let's see if we can make this a little bigger. In the event here, and in the alert we sent out, we actually included the risk score. So this is information coming from Macy directly, saying that this has a risk score of eight based on the fact that you had two Amex card in a public readable S3 file. Um, it is a, a risk score and a DLP risk score. It gives you information that we found unencrypted credit card numbers. Uh, it has a severity of high. We had a bucket fail, um, region info. We also included here what was taken, what was happening in the script. So in this case, we did an automatic remediation. We removed um, from the ACL, we removed two permissions. They were making it publicly available. One was for reading the ACL and one was for reading the data. We also removed a policy, and since we ran it twice, in the second case, we also removed the uh, um, S3 bucket policy that we changed from deny to allow. So make sure that you send the information about what's actually happening when you send those kind of alerts. And same as previously, we have the exact same information in our uh, Macy channel. And if you look at Some code highlights here. Um, again, whitelist. 
With S3, it's more likely that you want to whitelist buckets just because there are buckets that should be whitelisted. So if you run these through CloudWatch events, have a way to whitelist them. You don't want to have a tag on the bucket saying whitelist OK or public bucket OK, because if it is an attacker, it's kind of easy to detect. That goes for anything. So in this case, just as an example, I created a key called tracker with a MD5 hash. And the MD5 hash is just, a, a, it's just an MD5 for approved. But have a way to tag what is approved. And it could be something else. It could be a Dynamo table. This is just a simple example because it's visible. Um, also, do you want to re uh, remediate readable or writable? These are also important things because if it is a, for example, a public website, you want to have readable, but you definitely don't want to have writable because you don't want other people going and updating your website. But um, choose how you want to do it. If it is sensitive information, you might not want to have anything that is, world read, uh, that is available to everyone. And then whether or not you want to do just ACL or bucket policies. Uh, bucket policies are, of course, more, um, it's easier to make a mistake because it's a bucket policy. We have a lot of tools to make it easy for you but it is still easier than just clicking a button saying that make this public. Um, same thing, gather event information uh, from the other services that, that you get from. Uh, whitelist support, in this case we use uh, tagging and just get the tags and compare them. You could use Parameter Store, DynamoDB, whatever it is. I would highly recommend using Parameter Store um, just because it's, it's a really easy way of, of using this kind of data. Um, when you go through the list, remember there are multiple ways that you can do it, ACLs and policies. ACLs are super easy because you're basically just looking for all users. If you have all users in there, that means that everyone can read it at least, read or write. If you don't have that active, it's not going to show up at all. So it's very easy to, de to detect. The trickier part is policies, um, when you have a bucket policy. In this case, we're looking for a principle that says star. So basically, anytime anyone can do something, and it has allow. So if it's a deny, we're fine by that. We can put a deny on everyone. That, that's perfectly fine. But anytime we see an allow, uh, and the principle is star, we don't care if it's list, read, whatever it is. We know that someone made something public to everyone. And we want to deny that. And finally, we want to have an alert on that, of course, as well. This is actually how easy it is to set up remediation for S3 buckets. It's a simple PowerShell script or uh, Python script that you can just trigger on a timely basis, on change, on detection of PII data, whatever it is. There should never be a open bucket by accident. The last one we want to talk about is multi-account remediation hub. How, we had a hand up raised on how many people had a, multiple accounts, quite a lot. So the statement is that we have multiple accounts and we want to uh, enable remediation for all of them. So, super quick demo. And this is the world's most boring demo. Um, we want to stop CloudShell and we're going to enable it again. And I'm actually going to switch back and so while this is running, the way to do this when we're dealing with multiple accounts is that we want to use a new feature called CloudWatch Events Bus. Um, this allows you to send, similar to CloudShell, send, multiple, uh, send events to, uh, from multiple accounts into a central account. Um, 
the only way, uh, the, the only thing we have to do there is that in the target account, the monitor account, we have to, in the monitoring account, we have to allow the Lambda function to assume role because it's going to assume a role in a different account. And then we want to create a rule in the monitor account saying that anything that has to do with Cloud Shell, we want to send an alert on. And this is exactly what happened here. We see now that Cloud Shell was start, stopped and now it's starting. And that's not as cool. But the cool thing is that everything here is on the, uh, the target account. And if I see the Lambda functions we have in there, it's empty. We don't have any Lambda functions in the account we're monitoring. It's completely empty. The only thing we do have is a CloudWatch event bus. That's the only alert we have. So we send, oh, sorry, uh, and in um, CloudWatch event that targets a bus. So we don't need to distribute our Lambda function to do remediation. We can simply set up them to send the message to a central account. So the way we do this is we create a rule in the uh, master security account saying that anytime we get stop logging, this is exactly the same as if you do it in your own account. The difference is that now we're crucial to get the account information in the alert. So once we get the account information, we have three steps. Assume policy, credential, and remediate. Step one, um, we want to create, a, uh, we want to assume a role. When you assume a role, make sure you always implement the um, role policy because we want to have as least privileged as possible. And you can actually say that when I assume the role, this is the policy I want to use. I don't care that I can do more on your side. This is the only thing I want to do. So you assume as least privileged as possible. We can also say that uh, in this case, I'm looking, if the source is Cloud Shell and the event is stop logging, I want to do this policy. I can set up multiple types of um, events here. So I have the same function for all my events. Step two, get the credentials. Assume credentials in the role. Step three, fix it. We start uh, the Cloud Shell. And in all of these cases, as you can see with the Boto client, we actually add access key and access key token. And this is information we got when we assumed the role. Step four, no. This is about as hard as it is to do a multi-account strategy. You assume a role, you get the credentials, and you fix it. There's no need to do, say that multi-account is hard when you do remediation. With EventBus, it's as easy as it is set up for your own account. The only thing you need to do is get the credentials and then run everything against the target account. You have to do one extra step, set up the event bus in the master account. Same thing you do with Cloud Shell. So the general takeaways, use guardrails if you use remediation. Don't nuke yourself, not a good idea. And if you do, don't tell them you use my scripts. Learn from others, OSS. There's a ton of open source out there. Um, you don't have to use them, but use them to learn. Look at what you have there and see how you can modify it for your own systems. Always review the code, test, test, test. Uh, Multi-account strategy is not an excuse not to automate. It is extremely easy to do remediation now with a multi-account strategy. Um, and then tie it into established communication systems, if secure. So when you set up alerting, use whatever alert system you have. Use whatever chat systems you have. If you have an IR process, tie your automation into that IR process. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't tell your IR team that, oh, by the way, you have to go to this and this and this console. Just send the information to them. It's not that hard to do, actually. You can just use the webhook, and they have everything they need, and they don't need to adapt to you. 
Um, couple of other open source projects, I just like to share those. It's uh, a bunch of stuff, Threat Response Cloud, Cloud Custodians, Security Monkey, uh, Fido, both from Netflix, um, Cloud Exploit, Stream Alert. Depending on what you want to do, there's a ton of different systems that you can look at. Stream Alert is awesome for, um, for just gathering information from multiple sources and sharing it out. You can use Stream Alert in your systems as well. Same thing with like Threat Response. Um, and Cloudsploit is that they have a lot of different uh, systems online depending on what you want to do. If you want to do, for example, memory capture, go check out um, Threat Response on their sites. Um, Cloud Custodian is by Capital One. They release their whole remediation framework out there. You don't have to use it if you don't like to, but learn from it. It's a really good framework. Same thing with uh, Security Monkey and Fido. So check out everything that is out there. If you have a security automation project repo, please let me know. I want to know. Uh, I would love to add more things to this page. Um, just send me a, no a note, send me an email, send, go up here and talk to me after. I want to know what you're doing. As I said, code will be available. Um, all the sessions are going to be on YouTube after, since this is literally holding you from beer or your favorite cocktail. Um, go out on YouTube after and check out some of the other sessions. Um, there's some really cool stuff out there that has to do with uh, insert response, um, shout out to IAM Policy Ninja. It's a really cool session if you want to learn more how to um, deal with IAM and different IAM policies, um, and then using Lambda as different uh, scenarios for your security automation. Otherwise, thank you so much for coming, and enjoy party. <laughs> <laughs>